You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators, giving you new perspectives on the world of books, culture, and the arts. We are part of the HarperCollins Presents network of podcasts. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and with me today is Carrie Thornton, editorial director of Day Street Books, an imprint of HarperCollins that strives to bring the best books by the best authors to the broadest possible audience. Day Street publishes books that provoke, inspire, educate, and entertain. Thank you, Carrie, for joining us. No, my pleasure. So what's the most provocative book you've published? Well, Adam Carolla is pretty provocative. And why? Well, he's, you know, he's got strong opinions. They're wrapped in humor, though, so, um, and he's pretty equal opportunity in who he goes after. Um, But the people that don't like him really don't like him, but the people that do really, really love him, so um, he just makes me laugh. Um, And then Love Sex Again, that's a very detailed, not graphic, but clear sex book. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm not sure I'm familiar with that. Tell Dr. Me Lauren it. Stryker, she's an OBGYN. Oh, right, right. And we actually just republished the paperback as um, Sex Rx, and it's really a book about how to have the best sex of your life for their, your whole life. And um, it's just very, she's, you know, highly, highly trained, so it's extremely medically oh, specific. Yeah, <laughs> I think we all need that Exactly, book. all women do need that book, so... And what was the response? Well, I think there was a lot of um, pushback from the media because women of a certain age shouldn't be on television talking about sex. And uh, she so firmly disagrees, and she's right. But um, she's done a ton of work on her own and with Joseph Papa and our team just getting the word out there in a grassroots level. But, you know, we had a hard time getting major, major media about the book because I think a lot of reporters don't want to talk about it. Yeah, it's interesting because when I hire people, I say to them, this is one of the best jobs on earth because our job is to start national conversations. Mm -hmm. That's what we do, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. It sounds like that was a conversation people just didn't want to have. Exactly. So as as authoritative as she might have been and as right on as it was, if, if... People don't engage, then exactly. It's very and I'm hoping I'm hoping they will with the paperback. Yeah, because I think the book is so great and so valuable and so chock full of great information for women that they need to know. Yeah. So we'll see. And what was the most entertaining book that you? Oh God, there've been so many. I mean, I love my job because I I get I always say you get to learn a little bit about a lot of things. Um, but some of the authors are just hilarious people to to talk to and to become friends with. I loved working with Alan Cumming just because he's a wonderful human, and Amy Poehler, too. Um, But in terms of just line-by-line entertaining, obviously, yes, please. But there's a book I'm publishing in the summer called Fat Girl Walking. This woman, she's a a blogger. Um, She has this sort of online presence, Brittany herself, and then she runs this um, space on Facebook called The Curvy Girl Guide. And she writes about sort of accepting yourself in whatever size you are. And um, is so talented, out of the box. Her first draft was so funny. Interesting. Yeah, and it doesn't happen very often where right. someone who's never written a book before, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's their first draft. And, and how old is she? She's young. Know, she's younger than me. She's, yes, she's maybe young. thirty-five. She has yeah. three kids, and just reading the lines to my husband. I want everybody to read it. Um, 
because I think they're going to be really surprised. And I think also she's starting a conversation that needs to be had that, you know, fat girls get love too and deserve it and should be able to dress great and look great and not have to wear moo-moos. And she's just so in your face about it. I love it. And she's really, really talented. She reminds me of Jenny Lawson. That's great. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. All right. So let's back up a little bit. Give us your work history a little bit. How, how did you get started? Because everybody had their own story and they're all <laughs> interesting. So how, what is your story? I graduated from college in 97. You and went to William & Mary, I went right? to William & Mary in Virginia, where I grew up in Virginia. And um, <laughs> I had three car accidents in three summers during college. And I just realized I needed to move someplace where I didn't have to drive. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> and so then everything Pretty went much from followed there. from it was there. Like, okay, what can I do in New York? Right, right. So it was New York, Paris, or London, basically. And... Uh, I had always worked in bookstores in college and uh, was uh, like the assistant manager in a b- local bookstore in Williamsburg um, that sold remainders. That was fun. And I worked for Walden during the summers and during breaks. And so they transferred me to the borders down here at World Trade. Really? Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, I loved that store with that sunken middle. Yeah, it was pretty. And I ran the cash register, and I did the magazines and made friends and um, got an internship with an agent who had spoken at William & Mary. And, you know, publishing was something I had thought of. There are a lot of publishing folk who went to William & Mary. Oh, I didn't know that. There's a fairly sizable alumni network. Oh, great. And I had a few, like, informational interviews. Um, It was hard to get into editorial, though. Yeah. And um, I took a job in rights because I needed money and I needed insurance. Did that for about a year at St. Martin's Press, where everybody starts. Went to Simon & Schuster out of that job into editorial and trade paperbacks at Fireside, when Fireside touched in was the trade paperback division there. And had a great mentor and boss, a woman named Becky Cabaza, who is no longer in the business, but I worked for her for eight years. She left Simon during that time and started Three Rivers Press mm-hmm. at Crown, right. and I went with her. And you went with her. And that's where I grew up and started buying for the Crown hardcover list as well. And um, eventually decided I wanted to do all hardcover, so went to Dutton from uh, Crown. I'd been at Crown for almost 10 years. And um, was at Dutton for three and then got recruited here for It Books. And each editor sort of has to develop their own voice, right, that that people think of for a certain type of book. So how did you, or, or maybe this is a very recent thing, but how did you become associated with these types of books, these Mm. sort of um, very current and yet edgy types of books that at least I think of when I think of your list. Maybe that's distinct to Harper, but is that... No, that's always been been what I did, yeah. Um, I think when I was at Fireside, I was young, and I had an earring on the top of my ear, and my then-boss thought, well, she should do pop culture because she seems like she likes that stuff. (laughs) <laughs> and nowadays, yeah. every, every you know every girl on earth has that same stud. Exactly, so it's gonna be harder for them to identify. <laughs> um, but I had you know I had done some stuff with the radio station in college. I was really into music. Okay, okay. Uh, it was something I was really passionate about anyway. Um, and working in trade paperback, that was the key. 
we could do books that were interesting for a younger reader. And at the time, that was around when The Onion started publishing and all the hipster handbook, all these big trade paperbacks for that audience. So they were really, really working. And I felt like I was in the right place at the right time. And I got to work with The Onion, and I did White Men Have Nipples and all these sort of great trade paperback publications um, that were for that audience. And, you know, my personal passions in music and film and humor and comedy, they came out so that I was starting to get those proposals right. from agents. And I think the first book hardcover I ever acquired was Anthony Boza's first book about Eminem that I published for Crown. That was a big bestseller and started his career, a book I'm really proud of. I think it's still selling. Um, and that definitely put a marker down. Yep, that's and that's sort of what happens. So yeah. now when agents receive a proposal of that ilk, or these, then they think, okay, who's it going to go to? Right. And you're right at the top of that list. Yeah, and it's really, you know, I worked hard to get there, but I'm sure. really happy now. I feel like there are very few of these that go around that I don't see or have, you know, skin in that game. So I'm proud of it. I also, I think I'm known to the agent community, certainly among music writers, because they all talk to each other, and it's a really small little group. But, you know, I really um, hold hands really closely with my authors, and mm. we become friends. And... You know, their life is my life. Yeah, that trust. Exactly. Yeah. Because I'm asking them to do something, especially with a celebrity, they don't have to do it. Yeah. They certainly don't need to do it. And they certainly, it's certainly hard, as one of your authors has very famously <laughs> detailed. Exactly. <laughs> it's not an easy job. It's much harder than I think uh, they think it's going to be going yeah. in. So it has to be with someone that they, whose company they enjoy and who feels like gets them and supports the endeavor for yeah. them. It makes it something they can be proud of. Now, you mentioned receiving proposals from agents, but I would imagine you do almost an equal amount of going to people, right, and suggesting ideas and giving them kernels. Or How, how developed do you take those ideas? And tell us about that effort. I do that more now um, in my career because I have the support of Harper to do that more. I think the first book I ever bought was an idea that I had when I was, I don't know, 22, and let's do this book. And then I found the writer and went to her and, you know, really? I paid, yeah. you know, $10,000 right, for right, it. Right, right, right. So that's always been part of what I did, um, and that's the best way to get started. Um, but now it's mostly with celebrities, and I will say, you know, that person is primed or I read an article and they have something about their life that they clearly feel strongly about, they should do a book about that. Or thinking of someone who has a great branding strategy around them and how we can plug into that from a book perspective. And I'll go to their manager, publicist, however I can get in, yeah. primarily the big talent houses now, and just say, put me down. Or if it's someone who I know is interested I'll say this is the book they should do. Right, give you them a, a few more details. Yeah, everything is, it, it's different every time. Mm -hmm. It just depends on where the person is in the thinking about it. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't want to give my ideas away for someone else to use. So I need to know that the conversation is between me and that person only. Yeah, interesting. Oh, so. that, yeah, that's a legitimate concern. Right. I never thought of right. that. So what do you consider to be the most important aspect of your job? Oh, wow, that's really tough. I think with a celebrity, it's establishing trust and and not being a fan girl oh, first. Yeah, I have to. Ha, I, so they that should, trust and credibility. Yeah, I, they have to view me as a, a, an expert in my field who can help them be better at something that is not their first talent. And I feel like the worst thing you can do with celebrity is go in and tell them how wonderful you think they are because everybody under the sun does that. So, what you are more effective at doing is saying, 
I appreciate your work and here's how I think you can extend right. it and here's what I think your fans want to hear more exactly. of and that sort of thing. Here's what you can give your fans that they aren't getting now. Yeah. I definitely have a fan perspective, but right. I'm not being sycophantic. Yeah. And it, it's just, to me, it's it doesn't sit well. Right. Um, and it's the easy thing to do. Uh, and I need them to, to know that I can help them guide and navigate a system that they know nothing about. So I have to be the expert and, and make them trust me. So that is the most important thing I do, I think, with any writer, really, but especially a celebrity, because they always have all these people around them telling them everything. With a writer, writer, it's um, someone who takes their craft incredibly seriously. I've had been so lucky to work with people who are just amazing writers, people like Nancy Jo Sales or Rob Sheffield. Yeah. And, you know, I, I sometimes have these moments of doubt where I think there's nothing I can tell them that can make them better because they're the best that they uh, in their field. But I have been told, you're the best editor I've ever had. And it's incredibly gratifying. And I don't want to sound pompous, but it's just because I just to put that doubt aside, get my hands dirty, and offer advice. And never in a way like my way or the highway. Right, it's right. It's always a dialogue. Um, but just sort of giving them something that they've never gotten before. And what do you consider to be the most challenging part of your job? There are a lot of challenges. I think emotionally it's accepting that not every book that you love is going to connect. And I'm a very emotional person. I wear my heart on my sleeve, and sometimes I get my heart broken because a book I really believe in doesn't find its audience. Um, I think also respecting that Sometimes authors have really strong ideas, and whether you think it's right or wrong, sometimes you can't change their mind. That's hard. Um, it's also, the, the cover is really hard. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. It's so important, and I always try to come at it with my colleagues with a strong sense of what I think we should do, but I'm not a visual person. I don't speak that language, and... Um, Celebrities sometimes want to do things that are unconventional and not always as commercial as they should be. But I also feel like I want my books to look interesting. And, you know, the white seamless standard issue celebrity cover holds no interest to me. And, right. I, you know, very rarely do I want to go that direction. So it's, it's, it's walking the line between being really innovative and out of the box, but also not being crazy pants and yeah, having to alienating your audience. Yeah, having to sell to and then the, yeah. the reader, yeah. Yeah, I don't want Barnes & Noble to come back and say, what are you thinking? Yeah. You know, so, you know, you have to maintain your vision, but also, you know, understand what the marketplace is asking for. So it's always a challenge. But when you get it right, everything locks into place and you go, so... I asked one of your authors recently, Kim Gordon, author of Girl in, in a Band, about the photographs. And she admitted, she said, yeah, you know, a large part of that effort was finding the rights holder, tracking them down, and then clearing those rights. And I said, yeah, people don't. I said, I loved every photograph. I wanted more. And she said, yeah, I would have given you more. But we had to right. go photograph by photograph by photograph. And I think that that stuff like that plays into it as well, oh, right? God, you know, yeah. the, the rights issues. The mechanics, the legal read, yeah. the corroboration that's required, all these little things that people just really don't think about. The commerce of it all. Yeah. You know, giving sales the materials that they need to sell before a book's even done, things like that. Um, and luckily I have a great team and an assistant who is brilliant who helps me with all of that because I couldn't do it. time-consuming. Yeah, that's really time-consuming and yeah. I need to edit the manuscripts and right. think about the the forest and the trees. Right. So I think I know the answer to this, but what is the most satisfying part <laughs> of your job? Seeing other people read the books and like them. So connect, as you said earlier, seeing the book connect with readers. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that I'm not the only one who loves it. 
I have this, and I, I swear, I, one, I hope I outgrow it one day, but while I'm editing something, I always think everything's a mess. It's terrible. Uh, what have I done? So I was thinking you were going to end that sentence completely the opposite. I was thinking, when I'm editing, I always think it's the greatest book no. ever. And, and, and so you're 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 filled with doubt Self-doubt. every time. Tons, tons, and um, my every assistant I've ever had has told me I was insane for saying so that. So when does it stop? I don't think it does. If it does, then I mean, maybe you're not good point, at your job anymore. At what point in the book process oh. do you say, "Oh, okay, you know what? That actually turned out well." Is it? When other people in-house start to okay. come to me, and unsolicited, I appreciate yeah. more than, you know, the publicity person who's working on the book. They have to like it. <laughs> um, but it, when I feel the in-house love, that's, okay. that's when it's I start to turn. You okay. know, I'm happy when the author's happy, obviously, um, but I, I need other readers to come to me and say, you did that right, or, you know, they well, did that I right. I know. I have certainly stopped by. To say, <laughs> thank seriously, you. to say it about so many of your books. Well, thank you. I, I think that you're just terrific. Thank you. Now, I'm going to talk to you. I do this with all of our authors. I'm going to talk to you as a reader. Oh, cool. And one question that I ask everybody is, what's the most recent book you had a conversation about, and what did you say? Hmm. It was the most recent Tana French. And I love Tana French. I read all of her books from the start. And my best friend is also a big fan, and she's the associate publisher at Crown. And we are big readers of psychological suspense. And some of the review coverage about that book was it takes place in a school, and it's teenage girls, and she writes in an Irish dialect anyway. And, you know, a lot of people didn't care about what these teenage girls had to say. And there was too much time spent in their conversations. And uh, to me, that was so brilliant of her to be able to capture... You know, she's a mother, I think, of two children. She's world-loved author. But to put us in that mindset, yeah, she got in their I heads. thought it was genius. She's so talented. I always say she's she writes those books for smart people, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I find them fantastic. So that was the last conversation I had. And for a 13-year-old child, I'm going to say boy and girl, what book would you press into their hands? Uh, a Wrinkle in Time. Okay. I love that book. I read it when I was about seven because my uncle gave it to me. He bought it for me at a junk store or something. Yeah, that's kind of advanced reading. Yeah. I always, you know, I grew up in a, in a house. My mother was a reader, but, you know, we, we didn't talk about books a lot. But my uncle, um, he was in seminary, and he's he um, very educated man, and he would always give me books because he knew I liked to read. Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and that series. C.S. Lewis is a great theologian, so he read him extensively. But he gave me that book, and I don't remember why he gave it to me. And and at that age, because that that seems young, yeah. And I don't even remember if he had read it, frankly. I don't think I fully understood it at that age, but I just remember going back to it over and over as I was growing up, because Meg was me, this sort of awkward tortured, <laughs> somewhat lost, but very headstrong and very mm-hmm. smart. Mm-hmm. And I so related to her. And I, I'm very excited they're making a film of that, mo- of that oh, book now. Oh, I didn't know now. that. Yeah. And Do you know the details? Are you, so you're, you're excited? You're not worried? Um, it's, it's the team who wrote Frozen. Okay. So that gives me hope that it'll be good. Um, plus, it's a book that I want to see made into a movie. Okay. You know, in my dream, it would be Tim Burton making it into a movie. I just think it's such great characters, such a great escapism. It's sort of the, you know, she was ahead of her time in a lot of ways, Madeline Langle. I've given it to my daughter who's eight, 
And we started reading it together at first, like I was reading it out loud to her. And then she got sucked into something else. But she, I see her every once in a while with it. My One of my really good friends, when she was born, gave it to her as a present. With oh, that's it, so inscribed sweet, because she did, because she For later, that. yeah, oh. he knew that I love that book so much. So I think that one. And plus, it's a book that is the beginning of a wonderful series. And I think that's just the key with kids. You get them hooked on something, make them want to read more and more and more. Right. So what are your Desert Island books, if you were to mm. take three? Three. Please Kill Me. The um, Legs McNeil, Oral History of New York Punk. Oh. I love that book, and I think it's the standard in terms of oral histories and rock books. And I've probably read it ten times, and I read it when I first moved to New York because oh. that was the New York I wish I was coming to. Yeah, yeah. It didn't exist anymore. Right. But it was, I, and I needed to educate myself. A Wrinkle in Time. And, um, wow, that's tough. The Dirt is also, i got to throw that one in. Also the best rock book ever yeah. written. That's <laughs> I know. Yes, you're aware of that one. So those would be my Desert Island books. All right, well, that's very good to know. Yeah. Carrie, thank you very much well, for pleasure. sitting with us. Thanks. Thank you for listening. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and this episode was edited by Sharon Matlin with production help from Jennifer Monroe. The books featured in this episode are available for purchase wherever books are sold. Please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from leading figures across books, culture, and the arts, all brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.